Hello, my name is Jim R. and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast, episode 76. And today we're going to be interviewing Siobhan M. How are you, Siobhan? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Glad to have you on. I know you were just telling me it's 100 degrees where you are. You're in Arizona, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's... Preparing for the treacherous summer we're about to have. (laughs) Oh, that's right. It's not even summer yet. Wow. Yeah. So let's dive in here. Let's uh, get the party started. Let's talk about your childhood and growing up. Okay, so my childhood from an early age, I definitely had mommy issues, abandonment issues, and no sense of belonging, you know? Um, Why, Why was that? So my mom was an addict and my dad was an addict as well, but he was clean before I was born. My mom didn't pick up until I was about two years old. She lost sole custody of me and my dad got sole custody of me. And um, so growing up, my dad raised me and um, he met a woman when I was about three years old who became my stepmom. She's like my mom. She raised me, you know, okay. and um, she had two older kids. So they became my step, my step uh, brother or sisters and um but she's an alcoholic just like us you know and um so growing up in that household it was very mentally abusive um my dad was out of the house because he traveled a lot for work and you know I took the brunt of it you know what I mean the my older siblings they were out of the house and so you never knew what you were going to get you know especially with an alcoholic you know one day it could be an emotional side one day it could be a violent side you know you never know but I just remember at an early age like I just remember her always saying I'm just going to be just like my mother I'm not I'm not going to amount to anything you know I'm a problem child and this that and the third um I was very rebellious when it came to like mouthing off (laughs) and like not doing what they want me to do. Right. But like, as far as like. My question real quick is, do you remember a lot of this? Cause you're talking about being two or three years old. Like, um, like do you actually remember it? Cause I know a lot of people with trauma, you know, black stuff out, which is what I did. That's why I was asking if you actually remembered it. Um, well, this is like moving forward. You know what I mean? Um, I just, that was just touching base. Like how, like, the the split between the house you know when it happened I do remember that yeah absolutely but this is like going on into my childhood okay so what was it like where where was your mom most of the time you said that your stepmother was your mother what what was your mom doing she was too too busy out there running and gunning in between running and gunning Running and gunning, you know, in and out of prison, um, popping out babies, you know, everywhere else. And she just was not a part of my life. Popping out babies. How many brothers or sisters do you have? So I, biologically, I am the oldest of five. There is four girls and one boy, my little brother being 13. And this is all a result of her partying, sleeping around with different men. Is it all the same father then? Um, so the three girls are the same dad. And then my little brother is the man that she's with now. Okay. So how did you feel about, did you, did you recognize when your, you know, mommy and daddy were getting hammered? Did you recognize that something was off like that? Like, okay, they drink this and then this happens. What were you like? As, how did you perceive it from a child's point of view? So I remember 
after my mom lost full custody of me, the reason why she lost full custody of me is because I was driving in the car with her and her boyfriend at the time, and they smoked crack in front of me, and I went home and told my dad. That pretty much like mommy smoked some funny stuff in front of me, you know? Wow. So like I said, my dad, my dad, my dad was never loaded around me. He got clean way before I was even thought about. So I've never seen my dad loaded. But you saw mom loaded. Yeah. And stepmom. And stepmom. Every day. Every day. Yeah. How did that make you feel? Were you scared of them when they drank? Um, yeah, I was, um, it got pretty violent sometimes. Um, and it got very abusive, you know, to, I mean, it's anybody that came in her way, you know what I mean? Like, it's like I said, you never knew what you were going to get, you know, sometimes it'd be like, Oh, I love you. And just want to like coddle and, you know, be there with you. And then the next minute, you know, there's stuff flying around the house and being chased and, you know, just the, the slurs coming out the mouth and you just never knew, you know, and I love her and I always will. I just had to, you know, now I know that, you know, she has a disease just like me. That's tough. That must've been real tough on you. Yeah. How was, how was life at school? Um, I got bullied a lot cause I struggled with my weight my whole life. Um, I was definitely one of those girls that I didn't hang around white people. I only hang around black and Hispanic and anything but my own race, you know? So I was like, I, I definitely um, stood out like a sore thumb, you know, in the group of people that I surrounded myself with. Was there a reason um, for that? So, I mean, my dad, like his best friend's black. I grew up around a lot of black people, like my dad, his work, a lot of was um, mixed races, you know what I mean? So like, I grew up in a very diverse area, you know, like the high school that I was supposed to go to was ran by the gangs, you know what I mean? So it's just, it was like common ground, you know what I mean? So how did it make you feel when you were getting bullied at school? Was this something, did you ever think when you were younger, like maybe I can do what mommy and daddy's doing and feel better? Um, no. So my go-to was definitely a type of like self-harm. Um, I never like tried to commit suicide, but a lot of it was like artificial, you know what I mean? Like I cut myself with like plastic knife at school and like, I would bang my head across things and scream and throw temper tantrums, you know? Um, so a big issue in the household within amongst my whole family is, you know, buying people's love, right? Oh, she's upset. So let's take her out and go shopping, you know, and like, and that's how it was. And I, and that's all I knew. And that, and it led me down a dark road growing up because I ended up doing the same things, you know, to people who were not treating me right. I thought I could buy their love or buy their acceptance or buy their friendship, you know? So I never, from an early age, I never knew what a healthy relationship looked like. So as you get older, how is life in, you know, when you're going through high school in that age? So when I was 13, um, my dad and mom got in a huge fight and hands were raised and my dad packed my stuff up and he moved me to my grandma's house, um, which was like 45 minutes away. When and you I was say ha- hands were raised, what happened? Um, so my mom tried to attack me and my dad was like, that's it. It's over. I think it was like the first time that my dad actually witnessed some type of physical abuse towards me. 
because it was always like, oh, Siobhan's lying or, you know, she's just, she's not getting her way. So she's going to say what she wants to say. But that was the first time that my dad actually witnessed it. And my dad was not having it, you know? And um, so he packed up my stuff and he moved me to my grandmother's house, 45 minutes away. And I went to high school um, at Ocean City High School which is right on the beach, you know, what better way to go to high school, yeah, you know? Right? Yeah. <laughs> but there, are then nice we, person, there, there are nice parts of New Jersey. Exactly, you know, but the, here it is again, everywhere I go, there I am, right? So now I'm taken in, in this new environment, right? It's a majority white school. Um, there's a lot of racism going on in this school and I don't know where I fit in, you know? Um, I was not worried about my academics. I was more worried about who's going to be my friend, where do I fit in, and I just want to feel accepted, you know, and um, so I found myself in choir and drama, and I excelled at that, and of course didn't excel my academics, so it got pulled from me, you know, like you said drama class. Yeah, so I was in the, uh, I got a lead role in the, in the freshman play when I was a freshman, and I was in choir all four years of high school. Um, I, sang, I sang at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when I was a senior in high school. Really? Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. And um, real, real quick, tell me about that, because I love, uh, I would love to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm still yet to go, but I'm a big <laughs> classic rock guy. So it's amazing. You have to go. Like, that's the only thing I can say about it. Like, I loved everything about it. I, and I don't know. I like things like that. I like museums. I like history. I like all that stuff, right? And music was a big part of my life. Um, and it still is. It's carried me through a lot of dark times, you know, and they say music is prophetic. And I truly believe that because music also played a, played a big part in the planting of the seed of recovery for me. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. So what happens once you graduate high school? Um, so I'm 17 and my dad shows up at my grandma's house and he was like, pack your shit. You're coming home. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not going back there. And yeah. like, pretty much I have to listen to my dad. You know, I respect him. I respect my elders, you know? And so I did what my dad said and I packed my stuff and I moved back in with him and mom. And, you know, I approached my father and told him that I wanted to audition for America's Got Talent. And he told me absolutely not, that it wasn't a career. And so I gave up singing, you know, um, because I, felt like I wasn't good enough. You know, my own father even said, like, you know, you're not going to do that, you know? And then I told him I wanted to go to college and he told me, well, that's funny. You didn't excel in high school. So I'm not paying for college. He's like, you better join the military. What do you call <laughs> it? How did that make you feel all this? Felt crushed. I felt crushed. Like I finally had a sense of belonging and we and, you know, and, and a little bit of a purpose. And when my, you know, when that happened, it, it, it like it crushed my dreams. You know what I mean? Like I thought your parents are supposed to support your dreams and you know what I mean? And I just, I never had that, you know, I love my parents to death. They did the best that they could with what they had. And I know that today, but the love in the house was not there. Yeah. When your dad's telling you, you're bound to fail. I know, I know the feeling not to keep talking about myself, but. I personally know what that feels like. I suppose my dad's my world. You know, he's my best friend. I was daddy's little girl. You know what I mean? And so, of course, I'm going to listen to everything my father says, you know. So, but, um, so yeah, so he says, join the military. 
So I'm like, you know, I'm like 200 pounds. I'm like, I'm bad. They're not going to take me. I walked my ass into a recruiter's office and I um, studied for the ASVAB. I joined a gym. I dropped all this weight and I sworn in with the army. And I was like, you know what? This is my ticket out. I'm going to get to go to school. I'm going to get away from my parents. Like I'm going to have a career. Like everything was set, you know? And uh, I'll never forget. It was my 18th birthday. And in the state of New Jersey, for some reason, they thought it was funny to up the age for tobacco and I couldn't buy a pack of cigarettes at 18. And that's all I wanted to do on my 18th birthday was legally buy a pack of cigarettes. I know you were a smoker? Yeah. When did you, how old were you when you started smoking? 13 years old. Wow, that's young. Yeah. And that was the first thing I ever did. You know what I mean? Um, I tried weed for the first time at 14. Um, I took a drink for the first time at like 17. I was a late bloomer. Let's put it that way in a lot of things, you know? Um, it's funny like, that, that that's how, you know, we're addicts when you think 13 is a late bloomer. <laughs> late well, bloomers, I'm talking about like my actual people are probably like, Wait, say again. Like my actual drinking days, it wasn't until later. So, so what was, so you, you entered the military? Yeah. So, um, back to like when I was turning 18, so I, I swore in parents were signed off on it and all that other stuff. And I asked my mom to buy me a pack of cigarettes and she told me no. And I said, okay, of course, like I bitched and complained about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like why, you know? And she's like, well, I'll buy you a bottle of alcohol. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like let's wow. do it. You know? And she said to me, she goes, don't tell your father and don't take it out of the house. What 18 year old girl or boy is not going to take the alcohol outside the house. You know what I mean? So that's what I did. I called my friends up, you know, and I was like, I got a bottle. Let's get fucked up, you know? And, um, and that's what I did. And I thought I was slick and I brought the bottle back home and I filled it up with water and I put it back in the cabinet. And the next morning she wanted to go take a swig of it. And now it's World War III in the house. So now my dad knows that she bought me the alcohol. He knows that I've been drinking. So he's yelling at her. He's yelling at me. And it's just chaos, you know? And um, I remember everything finally calmed down. Me and dad were having like a civil conversation. And she came out of nowhere because she's just like me. And there's no one to shut up. And she said something to me. And for the first time in my life, I disrespected an elder and I cussed her out and she cold cocked me in the nose. There was blood everywhere. And I packed my shit. I packed my shit and I never looked back. And I left. This is is your stepmom? Yeah. Yeah. So as I got older, it became um, to the point where it was, she's not my kid, but you raised me since I was three years old. So now I'm like 16, 17, you know, and now all of a sudden that's not my kid. She wasn't born for me. My kids don't act like that. But it really, in a sense, like I was just acting out for attention because I just wanted my parents' attention. You know, I just wanted the love. I just wanted them to do things with me. I just wanted them to be a part of my life, you know, Um, from an early, you know, from a young age, my dad taught me to be very, very independent you know, dishes, laundry, all that stuff at like six, seven, and eight. You know what I mean? I got my first job when I was 13 working under the table. I worked all through high school. I paid for everything I wanted through high school. You know what I mean? It's, I always supported myself. I always had a roof over my head and food in my stomach. You know what I mean? From, from my parents, 
but when it came down to something that I wanted, it, I had to, I had to provide, you know? And so work ethic was definitely in, in my genes from a very young age. And so, yeah, so going into the military, um, I remember, you know, the fight happened and uh, I moved out, I moved in with my biological mom's mom, who was always active in my life. Like she never, you know, I, I used to see her all the time. And so I moved it in with your her. your grandmother, it's your grandmother. Yeah, on okay. my biological mom's side. Yeah, and so I moved in with her and I was still doing really well. I was working at Rite Aid as a pharmacy tech. I was doing everything I was supposed to do for the army and I was getting ready to ship out and I meet this guy, you know, for the first time I meet a guy and like I fall head over heels, you know, like, and then the next thing you know, I'm being sold into prostitution. Oh, um, God. Yeah, so... The whole army thing went down the drain. They signed the paperwork, told my parents that I was unteachable and that they would not move forward with me. They gave me an honorable discharge because I never actually shipped out. So it wasn't like held against me. Um, and that's the life I lived for about a year and a half. Um, I traveled all over the East Coast, got sold in between pimps, um, beat up every day, just mentally. I was completely broken. You know what but I mean? How does that happen? How did so when were you first introduced prostitution and who 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 introduced you to it? You know what I mean? How did it happen? So the guy that I met. Yeah, no, that I know. And what what did he was kind of like a boyfriend, and then the next thing you know, it turned into a real life situation. But how did how did you come to the point where you were doing it? Did he make you? Like how did yeah, that he happen? Yep. Did he threaten you or something? Like how yep. did that actually happen? He also held me at gunpoint and made me rob my grandparents. Yeah. Wow. And I was were scared. They, were they there when you robbed them or when they were out? So I took my, my grandmother's debit card and I went to the ATM and I drained her whole bank account. Yeah. Not proud of it, but I have paid her back and the amends has been made there and it was go. made a long time ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that there was like go. the first thing I took care of, you know, cause my grandma was my everything, you know? That must have been really scary having a gun pointed at you. Yeah, but it definitely wasn't the first time. So when was the first time you had a gun pointed at you? Um, one time in high school it happened because I don't know when to shut my mouth. You know, my, my mouth was my worst enemy. By a student? Yep. They had after a gun school. in school, huh? Yeah, after school, yeah. I didn't hang around good people. Like that's like <laughs> I will tell you, like from a very young age, like it wasn't like you know, these little, I don't know, like I didn't hang around good people. I hung around people who I had no business being around, you know what I mean? I was subjected to a lot of things, even in addiction. Um, it, yeah, it's just, it, you know, I, the people always say, oh, trouble finds me. No, I find trouble. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I find it, whether it's in a man or it's a, a friend, like I sniff it out from a mile away and I'm all about it. And I don't know what it is. It's like an adrenaline rush. Right. And it's, it's, it was just, it's what it was for me, you know? So you said you were up and down the East coast being sold Like at any point where you, I guess you were too scared to run. Is that, the, you know, yep. explain to me. Cause to me, it's like, how do you go from meeting a guy to you're, you're doing this? Because that, I guess 
while you were doing the act, quote unquote, was he watching you like outside a door or something to make sure you, because I would like, if I'm thinking if I'm a pimp, I'd be worried about running away. Yeah. So obviously I was followed everywhere I went. Um, I had a phone on me at all times. He was always in the vicinity. Um, it was a very, day. Like I was real life sex trafficked. You know what I mean? Like people paid for me, like pimps paid in between each other. Um, I was chased down like by, you know, gorilla pimps. Um, it was a very, very dangerous time, dangerous and dark time in my life. Sounds and I was like scared. It. I didn't want to what, die. What's a gorilla pimp? Um, so like someone who is like a pimp is like, who's very, very, very abusive. Um, they, they are strict to the, to the rules of the game. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it's like, um, it's like the devil. <laughs> Let's put it that way. You know what I mean? It's like the devil, you know? I'm so sorry to hear you went through all this. You must've been so scared. 18 years old out in the streets of Atlantic city. I mean, I already I had it coming, you know, like as far as like that lifestyle, you know, hanging around in that area, it is known for sex, drugs, gangs, prostitution, you know, it was, it was only a matter of time, you know what I mean? And like I said, I had no type of like interaction skills with any like real people, you know, and I had no, I was sheltered. So I had no idea, you know, the first guy that comes my way and like shows me any type of attention, of course, I'm going to be like, okay, you know, <laughs> like, let's do this, you know? And, um, yeah, definitely learned my lesson <laughs> from that one for sure. Um, so I would say it was probably about a year and a half before I finally realized that like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I found my, my birth mom on Facebook. And I reached out, you know, and it's like, I felt like, oh, well, mom's going to save me because she owes me her life. You know, she wasn't mm -hmm. there. So she's going to help me, you know? And so I reached out and she was like, look, she's like, I'm like, she was probably about eight years clean at the time. And she was like, you know, I'm clean. I have your little brother and I live in Kansas and you know, you can come out here and get your life together. You can get clean and, you know, and all this other stuff. And I'm like, this sounds great. Like, when are you going to pay for my ticket? Like, are you going to help me? Yeah. You know? And she was like, no, I'm not going to pay for your ticket. Like, if you want to, if you want to get, you know, your life back together and you want to do this, you'll figure it out. And so I hung up the phone and I went out like it was a normal night. And the guy that I was with found out about it. He beat me up and left me behind a bodega in Atlantic City and left me for dead, you know? And so I remember- What, when he found out you were going to leave? Yep. Yep. How, it was a bad beating? It was bad. Yeah, it was really bad. Two black guys, a busted up nose. It was bad. It was, yeah. I don't want to really relive that day, you know? And, no, of course um, not. But, um, so yeah, so I called my mom the next day and this guy answered and he said my name and I'm like, who are you? Well, he's not my stepdad, <laughs> but, um, he was like, look, I'm going to pay for this ticket. You're going to get on this bus. And if you don't get on the bus, don't ever call your mom again. And so that's exactly what I did. Like, I just took me, myself and I no clothes, nothing. And I got on that Greyhound bus and I never looked back. 
Um, so now I'm on this bus and I'm going to smack dab in the middle of the country and I get off at Fort Riley, Kansas, and I reunite with my mom for the first time in like 17 years. Wow. It's a long uh, time. Yeah. I didn't even know what to expect. You know what I mean? I didn't know what she looked like. I didn't know. I was just about, I was just about to say that it must've been not even knowing what someone looked like, you know, and that's your mom. Yeah, you know, and so of course, like we ran up in each other's arms and there was tears flying and, you know, and I felt a sense of comfort, like I knew that was my mom, you know, and it might have been so like a long period of time since last time I seen her, but I could still feel that bond. Like it wasn't completely like there's nothing there, you know, and so I just felt a a sense of comfort, you know, and so, and she did exactly what she said she was going to do. She helped me get a job. She helped me get enrolled in college, you know, like she got me all new clothes and everything was going good. And I met this guy (laughs) and, um, he was in the military. So, you know, I like to say that I was young, dumb and full of cum. And like, I saw, (laughs) you know, a uniform and I saw like dollar signs and like, oh, I'm set. And so we thought it was a great idea to know each other for two weeks and get married. And and so we got married and then the next day he shipped out to Iraq. And so I was left alone in this house with full reign of his bank account. Oh, no. Uh, yeah biggest biggest mistake that he ever made was putting a female on his bank account because I went to town you know what I mean like I spent every dime of his money I used and abused him I cheated on him I was getting drunk and having the MPs at my house every night it was just utterly chaos the entire time he was gone um but he did cheat on me the night before we got married. And that's what sparked all of the chaos. I'm the definitely the type of person when I was in addiction that I'll show you. Mm. Like you do me dirty. I'm going to do you 10 times dirty. You know what I mean? Like that's the type of addict I am, you know? And, um, and that's exactly what I did. And, um, and when all the money was gone, what did I do? I turned back to prostitution because that's what I know best. How quickly, how quickly did you run out of the money? Uh, it was probably about six months. Okay. And then I put myself on back page and I started selling myself and I was making a lot of money and um, I felt like I was unstoppable. I felt like no one could catch me and like, I got cocky, right? My pride and ego took over, you know, I had all this nice stuff in my house and my mom's like, where's this stuff coming from? Like, He's a freaking E3 in the army. Like, I'm like, where's his money coming from? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, don't worry, mom, working, you know, and so like, next thing I know, I get, I get set up and I get caught by Riley County PD. And I don't know if you know anything about the military, but uh, being a wife of a soldier and being popped for prostitution does not look well. No, I all. can imagine. I was on the front page of the newspaper. They, they, uh, they told his chain of command, like, and they pretty much told him, like, look, either she's got to go or you got to go. But, you know, in the midst of all this, like, he knew what I was doing the whole time. He knew I was prostituting the whole time. And he was okay with it. And so once again, it was like, I thought that's what love was, you know? 
And um, so he comes home from Iraq and shit is really, really rocky, right? I, I think I've moved out of the house like probably like four times within a like a year time period, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until finally I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I was like, I'm going to go to Washington and go with my best friend and her family because I need to go find myself because I want to run from my problems. You know what I mean? That's what I do. Yeah. I'm a runner, you know? And so he was like, okay. And he was like, well, what about us? And I was like, I don't know. Let me go find myself and we'll figure it out, you know? And so I moved to Washington state and I got out there and um, we got divorced. Best thing that could have happened. You know what I mean? Um, and we were both young, you know? And uh, so I'm in Washington and I'm doing really well. And I started working at McDonald's and I started as a crew person and I was with them for 10 years and I was almost a general manager, um, but my addiction took over at the end and um, I was doing really well, had the place, had the car, had the job, you know, like everybody wanted to be around me and I met this guy that I work with. Cause I um, like to sleep with people who I work with who were underneath me because it's some type of like superior thing, you know, like, I, I don't know, it's weird, but that's what I do. Right. And so for the first time in my life, I was in a healthy relationship. He was like a straight gentleman. We never fought. He treated me so good. Like his family was amazing. Like I was completely a hundred percent in love, head over heels for this man. You know, he never put his hands on me, never mentally abused me. Like he actually showed me what a healthy relationship looked like, you know, and we were together for two and a half years. And, uh, about two years in, we found out we're pregnant. And, you know, it was the best day of our lives, you know, during, during this entire time, what's going on with your drug use? There's nothing going on. Okay. So you stopped and now you're just unfortunately doing the prostitution thing. Yeah. And then I go to Washington, clean up my acts, yep. you know, just like, cause that's what I do. That's the type of addict I am. You know what I mean? I always, I can put it down, but I can't keep it down, you know? And, um, so yeah, things are going really good. We find out I'm pregnant. It's the best day of our lives. I'm crying. I'm happy. And he's crying. He's happy. And the families are happy. And, you know, I make a doctor's appointment and we go to the appointment and they do the ultrasound and there's a sack, but there's no baby. And so, um, I'm the type of person like, okay, it is what it is. Like, let's move on. It's life. You know, I don't really process things like that, you know? And um, he didn't take it very well. And I was just like, I was really rude about the whole thing. Let's just put it that way. I was very rude. I was very inconsiderate of his feelings. And um, I kicked him out and I broke up with him because I just couldn't handle the emotions. You know, I don't know how to cope. And um, after I kicked him out, I met some people at work and they were like, hey, you should come out to the bars with us. And I'm like, I've never been to a bar before but I'm down, <laughs> you know? And um, the next thing you know, I'm in the club seven nights a week. I'm doing ecstasy and Molly. I'm selling cocaine. I'm doing cocaine. I'm hanging out with drug dealers, running the town. You know what I mean? It just, it got bad and it got bad really fast. You know, um, my house got raided, found guns in my house. Um, I, I still managed to keep the job at McDonald's, right? Because somehow I'm a functioning addict, you know, for that point in time, right? 
And, but they know what I'm doing too. And they're enabling me, you know what I mean? They're letting me come to work drunk. They're letting me come hung hungover late, whatever, you know? So they enabled me too, you know? And, um, and one day I just, I got on a drunken stupor and I called my dad and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I want to kill myself. I want to die. I want to get away from these people. And my dad is just like, Siobhan, like, again, like, like, when are you ever going to learn? You know, like, you can't buy your friends. You can't do these things, you know, and then you want to run when shit gets rough. And, but of course, you know, my dad being my dad, he was like, well, why don't you come home? Let me, you know, me and mom help you. And of course I'm like, okay. (laughs) daddy's going to fix everything, you know? And, um, so I moved to Tennessee because my parents had sold the house in Jersey at this point. And so they moved to Tennessee. And so now I'm in the Bible belt and, um, I definitely don't fit in. Like I'm super like ratchet, ghetto, obnoxious, loud, (laughs) you know what I mean? Cussing every five seconds. Like I'm all over the place and I get there and I'm just like, straight culture shock you know my dad's like you're gonna have to go to church with us on Sundays and I'm like oh no I'm not (laughs) you know like that's not gonna happen but of course you know I did because I listened to my dad and um and once again you know I'm working at McDonald's because you know everywhere I go I can work at McDonald's I just transfer my job you know and I'm doing good I got the house the car you know everything again and um guy calls me oh my God, you're doing so good. You know, like we should really like try to rekindle what we had. I'm so sorry what happened between us and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, you know, and um, I bought him a ticket and I moved him out to Tennessee. Lied to my parents for like three months. He was staying with me without anybody knowing and um, got bad again, you know, abusive mentally, physically. Um, I walked in on him, him and my biological sister, um, they beat me up in my own house, uh, pretty much chased me out of my own apartment. And, um, and that's where like hell started. I'll put it that way. That's where it all really, really began for me. Um, you know, I've always been able to put it down and, you know, and get my life together and go, you know, and whatever. Right. But, um, so I decided it was a bright idea to go to the liquor store and buy a bottle of liquor. Mind you, I hadn't drank. And probably a year. So, and um, so yeah, I went to the liquor store and I bought me a bottle and I got online and I got on one of those dating sites and I uh, started writing some people and this guy pops up and he's like, Hey, I just got out of prison. And I'm like, Hey, what's up? You know, <laughs> like, I live in North Carolina. You live in Tennessee. We're only an hour apart. He's like, why don't you bring that bottle down here? And I'm like, Oh, the bottle's already gone. I'm pretty drunk at this point. You know what I mean? But at this point, I'm down to do anything. So I got in my car and I drove to North Carolina drunk. I don't know how I made it to this day. By the grace of God, I did. Um, Because I remember swerving everywhere, going down the mountain, you know, in the middle midst of winter. You know what I mean? It was foggy. But I made it, you know, and um, I thought like, Oh, I meet this guy. I'd be a one night stand. I'll go back to Tennessee and act like it never happened. That's not what happened. I got to North Carolina, you know, when things hit off and next thing you know, I'm living in North Carolina. Wow. Um, yeah. Transfer my job to McDonald's because that's what I do, you know, and um, I'm homeless now though, in my car, 
with him because he's a hardcore heroin addict. And I didn't know that either. And when he started using after he got out of prison, his mom kicked him out. And so we lived in my car and for probably about nine months, it was, I go to work, he'd have my car, he'd do God knows what with God knows who while I was at work, you know, and I was so blind because I loved him, you know, and then he would come pick me up. He would take me to some girl's hotel room. I'd take a shower and I'd be in the car with him all night, trapping and selling drugs. That, like, that was my life. I lived a complete double life you know, and, um, he was very mentally and verbally abusive. Um, I probably narcaned him over 20 times from ODing. Um, it just, it got really dark, you know, and, um, I decided like, I'm just going to hold on till he goes back to prison. I know he's on the run, you know, it's only a matter of time. If I can just hold on until he goes back to prison, I can go home to Tennessee, go back to my parents and act like nothing ever happened. And of course that's not what happens. Right. He goes to prison and um, I ended up falling in love with him because I got to know the real him behind the walls, you know, not the high one, you know, and like I got to know like a lot about him and his childhood and like spent a lot of time with his family while he was locked up and, you know, and all this other stuff. And, but I was also sending him all my money and I was still homeless at this point. So he's got three meals in a cot plus all my money, because that's what I thought. That's what you do when you're, when you love somebody, Yeah, you know? And, um, and so I was losing myself, you know, and so like, I knew how to sell drugs, you know, cause I've done it before. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to be a drug dealer. <laughs> I'm going to work at McDonald's, you know, during the day and I'm going to sell drugs on the side, you know, and everybody I knew did drugs because they were all his people, you know? So I knew where to go. I knew how to do it. And so that's what I did, you know? And then I found myself transporting from state to state selling um and it just it got really dark you know and then one day I was just like I'm tired of getting robbed because I fall asleep right so I was like I need to do what they're doing I I need to get that stuff because that stuff keeps you up <laughs> you know what I mean what's like, that meth okay so and that's what I was selling at the time you know and so I never touched it for like nine months and um one day I just walked in and I was like I want to try that and everybody around me was like, oh, no, it's not going to happen. You're not going to do it. No, nope, no. Nope. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to do it whether you let me or not. Like, if you're not going to do it with me, I'm going to go find someone to do it with, you know, someone's going to do it with me. And so they did. And I fucking fell in love. Like, that was my one true love. Fuck my family. Fuck the guy. Fuck myself. Like, that was my master. Um, and very quickly it went from smoking it to shooting it up. And it, it was, I was in extreme psychosis. Um, everybody was a cop. My own family were cops. Um, I remember calling my mom and telling her that the feds were after me and she needs to hire me a good lawyer. And my mom was like, what is going on with you? Like she knew, you know what I mean? Like they, they all know our family know, you know what I mean? Even when you don't think they know, they know. Mm -hmm. And um, I was losing a lot of weight. I looked terrible. Like I looked strung out, you know? And um, I remember crashing my car into a brick wall outside of a funeral home. And, um, and I wasn't even worried about like the condition of my own well-being. All I was worried about was getting the dope out of my car. That's the insanity. You know what I mean? Like I got blood trickling down my face. Like I'm all disoriented. And I'm just worried about getting the paraphernalia and dope out of my car. 
and hiding it before the police get there, you know? And like, the thing is, is like, yeah, you heard about my consequences back when I was 18. I'm now 28 at this point when this all happened, right? And in between all that, there was never any real consequences of any of my actions. And even when I crashed this car, I manipulated the police into thinking that I just worked a night shift and I nodded off and they believed me. And so I ended up getting a brand new car from the insurance. I didn't get any tickets, nothing. And so you think that would stop me, you know what I mean? From, from, you know, doing what I was doing, but it didn't, it only progressed. You know, I remember waking up in random places, like at like gas pumps in the broad daylight, people pumping gas, like it's normal. And I'm slumped in my, in my car, you know, and just like people just doing what they normally do, you know, Mm -hmm. and like waking up on the side of the road in random places. And it was just like, what is going on with my life? And, you know, for a long time, I was like, oh, these people are drugging me, you know, like, that's what I thought, you know, but in reality, it's like, I was staying up for days on days on days, you know, and not being, I was malnourished, dehydrated, you know, and I just, and I was so scared to go to sleep because anytime I fell asleep, I was going to get robbed, you know, like everybody wanted my dope. And then the thing is, is like when they would do that, like everyone knew I was going to come back stronger. And that's how I was. I was a fighter out there. You know what I mean? You rob me and I come back 10 times stronger a couple hours later. You know what I mean? That's how it always was for me. Like I, I kept getting knocked down and, but like, I felt like I can, I'm going to show you, you know, and really in reality, I was killing myself, yeah. you know, and um, I ended up getting set up by a bunch of people who I hung around with for a long time, got some drug charges. And, um, and I was like, well, I'm not going to run because I don't want to break the law anymore. You know, I need to go to court. <laughs> well, you know? you, when you went, did you go to jail? Yeah, I went to jail for three hours. Um, I got caught with two single shrooms. They charged me with felony possession of schedule one. And I got caught with a line of uh, meth and they got me for felony schedule, uh, felony possession of schedule two. I had an ounce of dope shoved up inside of me that they never found Went in the jailhouse with it. Um, and they got me for some scales and I was in there for about three hours and they let me go. They OR'd me because of COVID. It was literally the night. You remember when we went down on the um, the lockdown where everybody yeah. had to be in their house? It was literally the first night of that. I got caught after being out after curfew. And so COVID saved my ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I ended up fighting that case for almost a year. And uh, because of COVID, um, I, by the grace of God, I don't have a criminal record today. So that, that's, you know, that's God right there, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I remember it got really, really bad, right? Like, like we always say, it got really dark and it just continued to get really, really dark, you know? And um, I thought it was a bright idea to call my sister, the one that slept with my boyfriend, because she's one of us, you know? And, um, and I was like, she's going to help me, you know? Because <laughs> that's what we do, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's exactly what she did. She was like, send me 200 bucks, not come get you. And so that's what I did. I sent her $200 and she cut off her ankle monitor and she stole a car and she drove from Miami to North Carolina to pick me up. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Insanity. Right. And I remember driving towards Miami and we were in South Carolina and, um, we took this, we took the police on a high speed chase. Um, 
about to, it lasted about eight miles through town. We almost made it to the Georgia border and we got hit by five cop cars and we went flying into a dollar general and it was the scariest day of my life. I just remember like the police ripping us out, breaking the glass. I had blood all over me. They took my sister away. The news was there. It was just crazy chaos. Right. And like, the only thing I knew how to do was laugh. Like that, I didn't know how to process it. And so I laughed in the cop's face and he was like, you think this is funny? And I'm like, no, it's not funny. But like, I couldn't, I couldn't process it. You know, like I'm just looking around, like what the fuck has my life come to? Is this when recovery started? So it's where the seed was planted. Didn't start, but it was definitely planted. Um, I made it to Miami. Tell us about your recovery. So um, I ended up beating that case and um, I was tired of living on the streets. I was tired of sleeping in a tent. It was getting cold. You know, I was tired of panhandling, all that stuff. And um, I called my parents and I was like, look, I found a program that I'm willing to go to. Um, It's in South Carolina. It's six months long. And, um, but I need my identification. And because I didn't have ID or anything for like two years. And my parents were like, well, we have it. So I went to Tennessee and I picked up my identification and I checked myself into Sober Living America, which is in South Carolina. It's actually in like 12 other states, but that was the campus that I was going to. And um, I stayed there for about four months, stayed sober for four months, met a guy, relapsed, got back in the program, met a guy, relapsed, got back in the program. Um, And then I had a final relapse and it almost killed me and I got involved with an ex and he tortured me and beat me and took me over state lines and for the first time in my life I called the police and the police came to me and was like look Siobhan we know you've been trying to get sober we know you've been trying to get your life together so here's the deal you can either stay here and press charges and probably die out here or you can take this plane ticket for the domestic violence people and you can go to Phoenix Arizona and get your life together and so for the first time in my life instead of fighting for what's right, I finally made the better choice by saving myself. And I got on that plane and I came to Phoenix, Arizona. And um, I got here April 8th, 2021. And on April 18th, I thought it was okay to go get a bottle of liquor. And I drank because I'm not an alcoholic. And uh, I became homeless that night. And I got dropped off in front of a building called, um, that said, do the work. Next morning, I walked my happy butt into a fellowship hall, met a lady, she became my sponsor, and I started doing the deal, you know, and, um, and my life has freaking changed, man. Like, working the steps. things are so different, huh? Working the steps? Yeah, yeah. You know, the reason why I kept going back out when I got in the program was because I couldn't get honest on that fourth step. I kept holding things back. Like, oh my God, I'm afraid she's going to report me or she's going to call the cops on me, you know, because I was a smart criminal and never got caught, you know, and, you know, and that's what it was. And it kept dragging me back out, you know? And so this time I got freaking honest, man. I put everything down. I was like, what do I have to lose? You know what I mean? It's either lose my life or, you know, or do something different, you know? So first, for the first time in my life, I did something different, you know, and my life has changed. You know, um, I have an amazing support group. You know, I have a lot of commitments. I do an H and I. I have a lot of girls in the book right now, and um, I work in a treatment center. And um, 
yeah, things are great. Got to make an amends to my mother. I'm getting ready to go make an amends to my dad. And um, I never would have thought if you asked me a year ago, if I would be sober in Phoenix, Arizona, because <laughs> I didn't plan on getting sober, you know, it just kind of happened, you know, but it's how God works in my life, you know, I, and I just want to leave off with this and just to show how God works in my life. I got a phone call yesterday from somebody from my past who I did really, really dirty. Right. And, um, and I knew at that point, oh, I owe this person an amends, you know, but I don't know if I'll ever see this person again. And this person just happens to live here in Phoenix. No 10 way. Years from, yeah. 10 years from the date. And um, so I'm going to meet this person today, actually, to make this amends. And it's that's amazing. just how God works in my life today, you know? So. That is an awesome story. And God willing, April 19th, I'll have a year sober. (laughs) April 19th is coming up. One year is a long, that's a long time. Yeah, it's a freaking miracle, man. I couldn't even put together 60 days, you know what I mean? Or even two days, you know? And so, but I wouldn't trade anything in this world to go back, you know? And I've been through some shit in sobriety. Don't get me wrong, you know? Like, I've been through some stuff, some deaths, some homelessness, some, you know, even in sobriety. But nothing to make me want to go and use. The obsession has been lifted. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Absolutely. So, for everyone watching and listening, I just want to say thank you. And if you go below, you can subscribe and give us a like. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, um, on Facebook. If you go to our Addicts Anonymous Facebook page, the group page, under there is an events tab, and you'll see all the weekly and I should say nightly meetings we do every night at 630 for Zoom. Uh, That's something that I think you should definitely check out. And that's all I have for today. So until next time.